What's the frequency, Kenneth? Tom Friedley, Radio Zeitgeist. Flowing around obstacles yet again. On uh, Not So Live, I am on. Checking the test bar. 10 11 a.m., Austin, Texas. August 4, 2021, Wednesday. All right. Yeah. Any, <laughs> it's hard to be an undercapitalized future billionaire multimedia capitalist. All right. Continuing on here. All right. What we're going to do here is go into real clear politics and finding some wisdom. This is from Real Clear Investigations. Again, go to Real Clear Politics. There's a reason, ladies and gentlemen, that, uh, you know, during every election season, the national opinion makers use Real Clear Politics. It's a good spread, what we call in Sprout Dynamic Central, a good mimetic spread, just healthy left and right on the same issue. It'll get you started. As I and Don Beck continue to teach you Claire Gray's biopsychosocial systems theory, the science of mimetics. This one is titled, I'm just picking it here uh, extemporaneously, Real Clear Investigations. The piece is titled, The 1619 Project, Touted as Racial Reckoning Ignores Democratic Party Racism. This was published by Mark Hemingway, I believe. Uh, see, with the Federalist? Anyway, Mark Hemingway, uh, August 4, 2021. Mark begins this morning. Democrats who advanced a bill in June to remove statues of white supremacists from the U.S. Capitol ignored a central fact about those figures. All of them had been icons of their party, from Andrew Jackson's adamantly pro-slavery vice president, John C. Calhoun, to North Carolina Governor Charles B. Icock, an architect of the white supremacist campaign of 1898 that ushered in the era of Jim Crow. At a time when governments, sports teams, schools, and other bastions of American society are rushing to esponge legacies of slavery or racism, this was another instance of the Democratic Party's failure to acknowledge that it did more than any other institution in American life to preserve the, quote, peculiar institution and later enforce Jim Crow-style apartheid in the Old South. There's a quote, I think it's absolutely fair to criticize the history of the Democrat Party when we're literally changing the names of birds, there's a link here, because they're named after racists, said Jarrett Stiffman, author of The War on History, The Conspiracy to Rewrite America's Past, referring to a new racism-cleansing push in, yes, ornithology. Democrats' circumspection in the face of this trend is especially noteworthy because it comes at a time when they are criticizing Republican legislation to block the teaching of critical race theory on the ground that the GOP wants to whitewash American history. But one of the most noteworthy efforts to reframe American history in terms of race, the New York Times 1619 Project virtually ignores the Democrat Party's role in advancing and sustaining racism in the United States. Named after the year slaves from Africa were first brought to North America, the curated collection of essays on race in America presents even the most complex modern issues from obesity and traffic jams to capitalism itself as being primarily a consequence of America's history of slavery and racial injustice. The 1619 Project has been widely adopted as an historical framework on the left despite criticism from eminent historians being repudiated by the 1619's Project's own fact-checkers and mangling basic facts. There's links in here that I should include in the cloud here on Radio Zeitgeist. Again, follow me at Radio underscore Tom on Twitter, the Radio Zeitgeist on Facebook. 
Continuing here, Mark writes, Yet in the essay's text, the Democratic Party is named only three times in passing. The Republican Party, the political entity formed to fight, in italics, to fight slavery, also receives little mention. But when the GOP is mentioned, it is excoriated, excoriated as a 21st century heir to 19th century racist ideology. For critics of the 1619 Project, the virtual omission of any discussion of the Democratic Party is not only galling, but revealing. In their view, the goal of the 1619 Project is neither historical nor educational. It's thoroughly political. 1619 Project editor Nicole Hannah-Jones has been explicit about saying that the point of her essay and the point of the 1619 Project more broadly is to get a reparations bill passed. So that's a partisan objective, is the quote, says Lucas Morrell, a professor at Washington and Lee University, who has authored books on Abraham Lincoln and Ralph Ellison. Hannah Jones did not respond to a request for comment, Mark writes, nor did Jake Silverstein, the editor of the Time Sunday magazine, where the essays originally appeared. Peter Wood, head of the National Association of Scholars and author of 1620, a critical response to the 1619 Project, agrees that politics is a likely explanation for the 1619 Project's significantly analytical failing. And Tom adds, you think? Uh, his quote, Peter, if you're going to be leveraging this project in order to persuade Congress to pass legislation that would entail spending many billions of dollars giving money to the descendants of former slaves, then you need to court favor with the political party that is most likely to advance that agenda, he says. At least from Nicole Hannah-Jones' perspective, I would think that the careful avoidance of casting shade on the Democratic Party fits with her longer-term agenda, agenda of extracting wealth from the American people and transferring it to a subset of American people who can prove they are descendants from slaves. Historians also note that applying the 1619 Project standards for evaluating historical racism could prove especially awkward for Democrats. Quote, I think the history of the Democratic Party is even more problematic than anyone suggests. In the time period of its criminality, it's very long indeed, says historian Jay Cost, author of several books including Spoiled Rotten, How the Politics of Patronage Corrupted the Once Noble Democratic Party and Now Threatens the American Republic. Oh, I gotta read that. In a forthcoming biography of James Madison, it would be difficult to overstate the Democratic Party's enduring and baleful role in slavery and racism. Its origins in the 1820s are closely aligned with Martin Van Buren, Jackson's second vice president and later president himself. Van Buren was a New York power broker whose efforts supporting slavery, partly in the name of preserving the Union, earned him the moniker, a northern man with southern principles. The Democratic Southern states, such as Georgia, specifically criticized the anti-slavery policies of President Lincoln's Republican Party in their declarations of secession in the Civil War. Even after the war, Cost notes, the Democratic Party's central purpose in the second half of the 19th century was specifically to prevent civil rights legislation from being implemented. In response to black Republicans being elected in southern states during Reconstruction, it was Democrats who enacted poll taxes and literacy tests to suppress the black vote. A Democratic president, Woodrow Wilson, resegregated the federal workforce in Washington and hosted a White House screening of D.W. Griffith's egregiously racist, white supremacist birth of a nation. As late as 1952, 
the running mate of Democratic presidential candidate Adlai Stevenson, John Sparkman, was an open segregationist. A significantly higher percentage of congressional Republicans voted for the 1964 Civil Rights Act than did congressional Democrats. And segregationists such as George Wallace were major figures in the Democratic Party until the 1970s. Even during President Obama's tenure, Robert Byrd, a former exalted cyclops of his local KKK chapter, was one of the most powerful Democrats in the Senate. Yeah, Tom remembers that. The absence of Democratic Party critiques in all is all the more conspicuous, Mark writes, when you consider that the 1619 Project doesn't shy away from critiquing the GOP. New York Times columnist Jamel Boulay, Boulay, oh yeah, <laughs> idiot. They got him, uh, they drafted him, what, Salon, I think, or Slate, Salon, I think. Uh, the New York Times columnist Jamel Bowie's contribution to the 1619 Project begins by purporting to explain the strain of reactionary extremism that has taken over the Republican Party. Bowie traces the reactionary extremism, quote, directly back to John C. Calhoun, who famously famously argued that slavery was a positive good. Uh, ooh, I caught him. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, Morrell. thought I caught a typo. Morrell has written at length about his puzzlement over how Bowie can determine historical culpability for the Republican Party. Remarkably, Bowie manages to explain reactionary politics in the South from secession over Abraham Lincoln becoming president to solid blocks of Southern lawmakers and reactionary white leaders resisting federal regulation of their region up until the 1965 Voting Rights Act. All without mentioning it was the Democratic Party in control of those southern states. Bowie thinks the Republicans today are somehow the heirs of an institution that owes its defense and longevity in American history almost entirely to the historical Democratic Party. He argues that a homegrown ideology of reaction in the United States inextricably tied to our system of slavery, has outlived some but not all of its racist origins and concludes that today's Republican opposition to Democratic policies are clearly downstream of a style of extreme political combat that came to fruition in the defense of human bondage. Morrell observes, This is a dubious argument, either as a matter of journalism or history, and, quote, any objective reader, I don't care what your political party is, would have to conclude that it is a hit piece on the modern Republican Party. But we do not respond to a request for comment. Yeah, they never defend themselves, huh? What Morrell finds most alarming is that the Pulitzer Center, co-sponsor of 1619, immediately turned the project into a K-12 to course materials now in use in thousands of classrooms. The study guide that accompanies Bowie's essay asks students to answer the question, according to the author, how did 19th century U.S. political movements aimed at maintaining the right to enslave people manifest in contemporary political parties? In a courtroom that would be called leading the witness. Students given this curriculum are going to be expected to give only one correct answer, though that answer is more a matter of indoctrination than education. Again, a matter of indoctrination, writes Mark, not education. Bowie identifies only one contemporary political party as the heir of 19th century racist policies, namely the Republican Party. Morrell writes, By omitting the reactionary politics of the historical Democratic Party, for example, the massive resistance to school desegregation in the 1950s, the only evidence presented in the essay implicates the Republican Party. 
and honest accounting would acknowledge that contemporary racial issues have a complicated history that implicates both major parties. The problem, illustrated by the 1619 Project, is that the media and other increasingly left-leaning institutions are invested in historical narratives that help achieve specific political ends. Peter Wood suggests that the New York Times itself seems to have used the 1619 Project as part of the paper's broader agenda to affect the outcome of the 2020 election. Yeah, asked Tom, you think? <laughs> While the Times committed to doing the 1619 Project in January of 2019, Wood observes that the hope of energizing the Democratic electorate to oppose Trump in the 2020 election was one of the animating reasons the Times featured and promoted the 1619 Project so prominently. To that end, Mark concludes, Wood notes the timing of the 1619 Project's publication in August of 2019 came just one month after, quote, the failure of the Mueller investigation to deliver the results that the Times eagerly anticipated. The 1619 Project was intended as part of what the New York Times executive editor Dean Becquet called a pivot from Trump as Russian collusionist to Trump as the face of white supremacy. All right, Tom Freedy for Radio Zeitgeist at Radio underscore Tom. The Radio Zeitgeist on Facebook. Tom Freedy still trying to figure out how to on Instagram. All right, that's coming eventually. All right, this capitalist is on the case. Leslie Fest, 2021, still shaping up. Looks like it's going to be a lot of uh, smaller venues. All right, look for several. We're, we're going to Antone's, the ballroom up there near north of campus that was formerly Spider House, things like that. Like, you know, like two to 400 person rooms. It seems right because that way um, everybody can share their, everybody had their own personal uh, Leslie story, right? North Austin, South Austin, East Austin. At Radio underscore Tom on Twitter for the updates. Again, Tom Friedley for Radio Zeitgeist. Your stop for the art of critical thinking in an age of too much, so much information. Again, the nascent coming at you world. Hashtag Radio Zeitgeist Global Broadcasting Network.